Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining To The Point Podcast, Episode 122. I'm Rachel Lyon here with host Eric Trexler. Good morning, Eric. How are you doing? Good morning, Rachel. I'm all fired up from our prep with Travis. I can't wait. Oops. Absolutely. I gave Oops. our guest away. <laughs> we had an amazing guest today, uh, Travis Howerton, who is co-founder and CTO of C2 Labs, which delivers continuous compliance solutions for regulated industries. That's a mouthful, but very, very mission critical work here. Um, he's had a front row seat at the national security and evolving threat landscape front lines, uh, working with numerous government organizations. And we're going to have an amazing conversation today. Travis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So Travis, you came from NNSA, otherwise known as National Nuclear Security Administration, protect all the nation's nukes, correct? Yes, I did. In your history? Yeah. And so we were a semi-autonomous agency within the Department of Energy. And so uh, our goal was the uh, manufacture and production and su- safety and security of the U.S. nuclear weapons stockpile. And so Rachel, we're not what the heck the, would uh, that have to do with cyber? But we'll get to that. <laughs> yep. And then you also Oak Ridge National Lab, which was involved in the making of the first atomic uh, weapons and energy programs and still yeah. is. Yeah. So the first graphite reactor came out of there and they still do all sorts of nuclear research. And so ORNL has become more of an open science lab that does R&D. And then I had a heavy focus in my background on the weapons program side and national security missions. So kind of seeing the full spectrum uh, from a a government agency perspective there. And then you also worked at Bechtel prior to uh, founding C2 Labs from a commercial aspect, correct? I did. So I led uh, the merger cost savings transformation sort of group for Bechtel when uh, the government decided to combine Y12 and Pantex to generate some efficiencies in the nuclear weapons complex and uh, then ended up going up to D.C. and working for Bechtel where I was uh, had a digital transformation role in strategic programs globally for them. And so uh, a good blend of uh, private sector with Bechtel and C2, um, the lab I would call sort of in between. Yeah. Um, and then the federal experience where I was a chief technology officer of the uh, U.S. nuclear weapons program. Awesome. Rachel, nukes and cyber all in the same show. Let's kick it off. Oh, let's do this. Yes. (laughs) Where do you want to start? I think that's that's a great question. I mean, it's the evolving threat landscape is one that I'm very, very fascinated with. And you've been been doing this a really long time, Travis. Um, You know, let's look at something like supply chain, for example. Um, Not an easy problem to solve. We we've seen the whole solar wind, solar gate. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about that before we, we got on the podcast today. There's, there's no real answer to, to how to get ahead of that. I mean, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I've described the solar wind hack to the folks I know as the Picasso of cyber attacks. <laughs> and it really opened up a new front in the cyber war. While, while there's been things that have been done in supply chain security that can't talk about on this call, I mean, it's been a known issue, but we've never seen it at that scale and level of sophistication before. And what what made it beautiful, and I think if at some point, if you can't admire your adversary, they're not a true adversary. 
Um, it was a beautiful attack in the sense that there's really nothing we have in place today that could have realistically stopped it. Yeah. You know, it's going to get in because it's in software that you know and trust and have used for a long time within your networks. Um, so there's not much you can do to stop the attack. What you can do is stop what they can do once they're in. So right. things like zero trust architectures, micro segmentation. And then part of what we were discussing in the uh, pre-call is deterrence. Right. You know, to some degree, there has to be a conversation around deterrence and what's the red line and how far do you let an adversary go um, before you get an in-kind or an escalation in response um, for the damage that you've caused. So I think this is a really good case of pushing where's the line from a deterrence perspective, but it's also challenging all the assumptions of, you know, I used to be behind my firewall. We make people log in with two-factor. We're good. All that stuff you have in detection and all those things, none of it was going to help you here, right? So only limiting where they can go and what they could do and how they could dial home is really the only hope you had because you're not going to stop that getting in. And uh, it's funny, I've been talking to several national labs and some other customers we have. The only one I know that had solar winds that didn't get popped um, and isn't going through incident response right now is one that was so far behind on patching um, that they didn't get the version with the exploit in it. So literally not <laughs> patching is the only thing that helped this customer, which is uh, a great irony um, <laughs> when you look at best practices in cyber. Yeah, and I, I want to be clear. CISA came out a couple of weeks ago now, Rachel, and said about 30% of the of, of the attacks they saw were, were not related to solar winds, right? So this mm -hmm. was a this was a pretty calculated, extensive nation state level, blamed on APT29, at least right now, level campaign. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just solar winds. I agree with you, Travis. I mean, right. they're going to get in. You have to, as we've said so many times on the show, assume the breach. You have to yep. assume you're going to. It's what happens afterwards. And deterrence yeah. at the nation state level is important, right? Even Microsoft isn't really going to be able to impact deterrence, one of, one of the... Uh, targets in this attack at the nation state level, you can, you can start to say, this is acceptable. This is not, but it's, it's really a problem and it's what happens once they get in. Right. Yeah. And if you can't trust your tools and what they're telling you, that's the big problem. And so the beauty of the attack is they go to tools that everybody has and trusts. So rather than trying to go after Eric, then trying to go after Rachel, then trying to go after adversary in sort of selectively targeting them, the beauty of this attack is you can write once, use many. If you can get into, um, instead of doing that one, maybe they go for Microsoft uh, SCCM next time, or they get into Ansible where uh, people are doing their Linux configurations. They get into something that you trust in the management stack of your network, and then they use it and its uh, uh, credentials to sort of spread violently throughout your network. And so, um, when they're in those tools and they're in pre-compiled things, there's not a whole lot of customers in the world that have the sophistication to find those attacks, much less detect and respond. And so I think Agreed. it's opened up just a new war front that I think deterrence is the uh, uh, biggest weapon we probably have in our stockpile to be able to, to fight back against some of these things. Because once they're in tools you trust, um, they're inside your network. And then yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I was speaking to a customer last week, I think, and we, we were talking about it and it was like, 
yeah, I was trying to help them understand. They were asking about the security of the cloud and was like, well, this isn't really a cloud security question necessarily. It's the adversary in this case leveraged on-prem systems to gain trust, to, to, to co-op domain and user credentials to then connect to Microsoft ADFS, right? The Active Directory Federation serv services um, mm -hmm. as credentialed users. It's, right. it's no different than a small business where the CFO calls up his buddy Brad over at the local bank and says, I need you to wire a million dollars of money to X, Y, and Z. And the, and, and the guy's been dealing with them for 30 years and says, hey, no problem. Send me an email. I'll get it right over there. Right. And then the adversary sends the email on behalf of the CFO who they impersonated the whole time. Money's gone. And, and same thing with IP in this case. Right. Right. They took yep. local resources, gained trust, and then leveraged the cloud for exploitation. And yep. and really, from what we're hearing now, exfil of data, espionage. Yep. Yeah. And I think there's a false choice in the industry that, you know, cloud is less secure. If it was on prem, we'd be more secure. I think anytime you're trusting anything, you're going to have an issue, right? Because anything can be compromised with the right amount of time, money and resources. Correct. And so um, for most customers, I've said for years, cloud is a more secure option. And there's a couple of reasons that I consistently say that is one is they started with zero trust and micro segmentation. Everything's defined in a software layer. So you can really carve things up and limit trust and lock it down um, if you can get there. The hard part about cloud for most customers is they weren't born cloud native like our company was. They've got a ton of technical debt, a bunch of snowflakes in the data center that are really hard to move or do anything with. It's going to explode costs if you just move it as is versus sort of modernizing and refactoring for the cloud. And so um, it makes it difficult to get there. But once you're in the cloud, you've got more segmentation. Um, you've got more telemetry than you have on your on-prem data center. Right. And then you can take advantage of the hyperscalers, um, AI and monitoring and things you probably couldn't afford from most companies on your own. I mean, there's some there's some larger companies and government agencies that probably can do better on their own. But for 95 percent of the rest of us, you're probably better off in a lockdown cloud that's micro segmented with a zero trust architecture than anything you could do on prem yourself. Now, I will throw out there a few things, Travis. You, you said one of the agencies you've worked with in the past said they weren't vulnerable because they didn't patch in time. So yep. cloud gets patched pretty quickly. Right. It does. It's fast. It's easy to use. The vendors typically allow most services by default to be available to people, even if you don't understand them or take advantage of them. You know, I almost look at it like in some ways they should make it more of a firewall, deny everything and open up ports, protocols, capabilities, we'll call it um, in the non firewall world for the cloud as you need them. So you know yep. what you're opening up, because I think the cloud is so easy to work with. I mean, hell, the adversary used it to stage the attacks, to receive the information, to exfil the data. I mean, they used it for everything, right? It was just easy. It's under, well understood. So that's a problem I think we need to understand. And, and then I think there's the, the shared responsibility model, even though Amazon and Microsoft and the major vendors have been talking about it for years, I don't know that it's fully understood by organizations and their personnel yet. It, I would say it definitely isn't. Um, and a good example of that, we'll go back to yours. You know, we should start with everything default turned off. That's pretty much what cloud providers do. 
So if you stand up a new VPC in AWS or a resource group in uh, uh, Azure, it's pretty much locked down by default. You have to turn things on. And what happens is you get a lot of people turning things on that they shouldn't turn on. They don't understand. Right. right. It's like it's, it's easier to just to put in any, any rule or to make everything open inside this area than it is to precisely lock it down. And so a lot of what you see in XFills and other things are uh, things like Open S3 buckets is a great common example. That's on you as a customer. Once you make an S3 bu- bucket public and then you put a lot of sensitive stuff on that, that's not really Amazon's fault. And they say in the T's and C's, but it it requires a level of sophistication. Um, When your infrastructure people don't know how to code and things are moving much more into software than they are in the traditional hardware world, you get a little bit of lost in translation and skill sets. And so if you have the right skill sets and the right team and the right expertise, I would argue cloud is much more secure. When you try to move into cloud without that, you can open up problems for yourself. But you do the same thing on prem. The, the other thing I would say that's important is I've got a lot more confidence in the Microsoft and AWSs and the Googles of the world to to be a harder target to hit than a SolarWinds. And most importantly, they'll respond better, right? right? So if you're in their cloud and they're hit with something that's in their core infrastructure, they're built on zero trust already. They've got better isolation and they're going to have better recovery than anybody else because nobody else is spending at that scale to have that level right. of expertise. So I think you're still better off for most players to be up in that space with the skill set limitation um, aside. I would agree with you. Understand the tools you're using, though. For, for years, customers talked about me. The big threat was someone's going to take Microsoft down or Amazon Web Services down. I think the adversary's smart. Why, why do that? Because to your point, they're very good at what they do. Resiliency, exactly. understanding who's attacking mm-hmm. them. But if you come in through an attack like we saw here, where you're using the organization's own trust and systems against the against them and leveraging the cloud, it, it's you know it's it's really a brilliant play. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. and I'll, I'll give you a good example, and I'm not going to share where this happened. Um, but we're we were a customer of a cloud provider. Um, we had just signed a contract. We were just starting to explore usage um, of the cloud. We hadn't really turned anything on there, but uh, we had connected some things. And so for this client, when they started seeing XFIL stuff going through the Microsoft cloud, Microsoft notified us that we'd been breached and everything we had missed it. Yeah. All of it missed it. Right. Just by function of being there, they saw something and reported to us. Right. Because we were a paying customer where uh, they were watching our stuff. Right. So there's uh, uh, it's pretty amazing what they can do at that scale. That's very difficult. And f- and folks do worry about it going down. Right. But the reality is how many people have that many data centers at that scale with that much redundancy built? Um, I came from a world very where few. you were lucky to have a data center that wasn't leaking water or had some problem where it'd been underfunded for 30 years. It's only got one HVAC system, you know, all those sorts of things you find commonly in private data centers and other things. You won't find um, those vulnerabilities and risk in uh, the commercial cloud providers. So I think there there are still upsides there, um, but everything's sort of risk quantification and, and uh, uh, where are you at now and where you're trying to go. So, so let's transition then to protecting data. You, know, you spend a lot of time in the government um, as a practitioner, policy setter. 
what's what's unique in protecting information in that space? Obviously, we have classified and unclassified material, but but how, how do you look at that? Yeah, so uh, one of the unique challenges in the weapons program was that we have some of the only and maybe the only data that doesn't declassify. Right. And so nuclear weapons data will never become declassified, just um, or at least most of it will not. Because we don't want people knowing how to build our nuclear weapons, right? That's an obviously a bad thing for the world for that to happen. So you have to worry about problems 20, 30 years from now, not just in the next five to seven, when things would typically declassify for normal types of information, right? So um, that was a little different. Um, okay. But but I think everybody faces their own data challenges. For a long time, it was around espionage. They're just going to get into your network. They're going to exfil and they're going to steal stuff. I mean, that was certainly something we worried about in the labs. We did billions of dollars of R&D on behalf of the government. So either you can spend billions of your own dollars to try to compete, or you can just try to steal our stuff for pennies on the dollar, right? And just take it, right? And there's nation states that exist that do that sort of thing, right? But I would argue you have the same problem in other areas. The uh, Stuxnet attack was really the one where you went from SOP purely cyberspace to cyber physical, where now you can weaponize uh, uh, an attack based off a purely cyber logical attack. And where you see that, and I think it's a unique problem, is anywhere where integrity is very important. That can be the grid. If you can't trust what's coming across uh, the grid in terms of reading settings, you can basically cause things to explode. Um, Mm. Same thing in healthcare. Um, If it's not that they necessarily steal your healthcare data. The more concerning thing is if you're a terrorist, what if you got into a database on the back end of the hospital, changed everybody's allergies, changed everybody's blood types, you'd have mass casualty events just by scrambling data, right? And then increasingly access to data is becoming the new threat with ransomware and other things locking whole cities out of access to their own data. So it, it's a multifaceted thing that used to start more on the espionage. There were kind of rules to that game. You know, you could steal stuff. They steal stuff. We steal stuff. Everybody steal stuff. But um, you don't break anything while you're there. Increasingly, people are breaking things while you're there. And then the worries that terrorism breaks into that space and they start weaponizing some of those things. You know, we discussed a little bit the attack in Florida on the water system. Yeah, the city of uh, Olds or town of Oldsmar, the dam where yep. if 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 one guy hadn't luckily seen a change in the uh, in the data, they would flooded the water system with a lot more lie than was required. Well, I think he saw yeah. the mouse actually moving on his desktop, right, as the person was perpetrating the attack. And he's like, this doesn't look right. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's yeah. a low sophistication attack where you yeah, get in right. and basically hijack somebody's computer, but your chances of being detected when you're hijacking and moving the mouse are pretty decent, right? Um, But if what they've done instead was get into the instrumentation network and change all the readings where everything looked good, even though it wasn't, that's the sort of attack that keeps me up at night. And it's the sort of thing that uh, the SolarWinds thing is opening. When you get into the supply chain and you can change readings um, and you're that deep into it, you can get some pretty sophisticated uh, attacks and damage. And with that, we're going to pause our conversation for this week. We are having such a great time speaking with Travis. We're going to continue the conversation in next week's episode, 123, where we continue looking at the global threat landscape and, and how do you move forward with such a complex challenge ahead. 
Uh, look forward to seeing you then. And until then, have a great week. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 